Sheree and Hippity Hop. The stars at night are big and bright deep in this heart of Texas. Here we are at the South by Southwest Interactive Film Groove Monkey Festival Conference of a thousand, thousand zillion people here in Austin, Texas, where the weather can be described as unbelievably shit, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's nice. It's like uh, I lived in England for five years and I played a million festivals there and this weather's as bad as any fucking festival I've ever been at. I want you to know that it's awesome. It's been like the day Christ died every day here. Just pouring rain on Golgotha since the minute I got here. The last time I was in Austin, I was here for uh, an improv festival um, in August, uh, the name of which, of course, I'm blanking on now because I need it. Um, what was it called? Out of Bounds, Out of Bounds, O-O-B. And uh, it hadn't rained in, what, 110? There was kind of a biblical Gomorrah-like drought going on, and people were being turned into pillars of salt, and there was cattle shriveling up on the roadside, and the, the Starbucks were having to use half milk, and, you know, it was a <laughs> shocking turn of events. I was walking down the street during that festival, and I was blasted by sand. My glasses irrevocably pitted, uh, and I stood weeping on the sidewalk in front of O. Henry's house. Uh, the la he, he's an author who lived here and um, authors are people who write books I know this is Austin and it's all about music and shit but sometimes people write books too uh, and uh, then this time I come here and wowzers McTavish uh, just a torrential biblical heinous fucking unceasing unrelenting moisture packed Venusian fucking downpour um, evidently every time I'm here Pharaoh is angry Uh, and I think you should definitely give back Joseph. So, I may have even used that on the last proofcast. now that I come to think of it. Uh, let's do an alternate one there. Uh, no, the gods are angry at Austin, and it's uh, highly underwater. This doesn't seem to stop everybody from coming out. It's an uh, amazingly well-attended festival. I'm staying over at uh, the Hilton here. Um, and if I had a phone, can I borrow a phone from someone for a second? Uh, this is my impression of walking through the lobby at the Austin Hilton. This is everybody you walk by. <laughs> Apparently, people's phones here are filled with wonder and friends. Even though there's millions of people around you who will potentially let you inside them later in the evening. <laughs> Ev evidently, you've got a, 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 an app that is almost as good as that. As, as the, as the moisture-packed funhouse that is the Caves of Mystery. Uh. Apparently, there's a million apps going down here. I know nothing about technology whatsoever. Please, no flash photography. This is like Disneyland. A spring shoots out my ass and the ride stops. Uh, I, have, I, I have no idea what interactive means. I was going to bring the program and read it, but I realized after the second one, I sounded like my mother uh, in, the, in the 80s trying to figure out how a fucking VHS tape worked. Like I was trying to play Centipede and... Uh, so, yeah, that's where I am technologically. As you can see, I use actual pieces of paper up here and not a phone. I even have uh, one of these. Uh, yeah, la plume, le, le lapis. Uh, a pen. Yeah, someone went, I, I remember those. <laughs> Grandfather, what was it like to, to etch with a stylet and tablets of mud? Well, when we invented cuneiform, no one thought it would take off. Everybody just thought you counted sheep and barley and stuff like that. Then later, creative writing came up. Uh, so uh, it was raining a lot uh, the last couple of days here. Like I say, it, it hasn't deterred everyone. People are soggily scrunching into every uh, rib joint and Mexican restaurant and saloon along fabulous uh, 6th Street, is it here? And Red River and all the other 
uh, awesomely named Larry McMurtry type streets that you have here. In the place where Rick Perry has his golden throne made of the bones of the poor. So it's lovely to be back in Austin. I'm expecting the next time I come here, there's going to be a, I don't know, um, giant biscuits falling from the sky. I really don't know what's after uh, a sandstorm and then a torrential downpour that, that never fucking stops. I feel like Neptune. But as Satchel Paige once said, you win some, you lose some, and some get rained out, but you have to get dressed for all of them. Uh, and so we're dressed and we're ready to go here uh, on our fine, fine, what day of the week is this? Does anyone know? Saturday? Really? Huh. It'll be 80 on Monday. I love the optimistic, prescient, uh, if you were only here in two days, you'd really like it. <laughs> Weather forecast. I think that's my favorite forecast in the entire world. And when I was here last time in August, I was, if you'd been here three days ago, it was only 69 degrees with light brace. <laughs> Instead of 104 Gila monster exploding fucking weather. The way it is now where you can't take a fucking breath and you sweat in the shower and shit, Greg. And the sayings blowing in your eye and whatnot. And, uh, oh, my goodness. If you, if you were here Monday, hoo-wee. Mild. Oh, mild. Oh, my, my. Oh. Just orange blossoms in the breeze and whatnot. And girls in tight jeans as sassy as you please. Everybody two-stepping and whatever. Oh, my. If you were here Monday, well, you're leaving tomorrow. Anyway, Greg, have a great flight back to Sodom. Uh, I've eaten barbecue quite a lot of times this week. I think more than one should, actually. I don't think three meals in a row of barbecue is really that well advised. No, I sat in my room and I bloated like a stuffed owl. Uh, like, yeah, I love the brisket more than anything else on earth. It's, uh, well, almost more than anything. Pork I love more, but here in Texas, brisket. And um, I could really eat it by the bucket load, which I've been doing. And, uh, and drinking Scheinerbach and, um, yeah, exactly. When in Rome, as they say. And then people hear, but you ain't in Rome now. How does that pertain? Your metaphors have left us both perplexed and confused. If you were here Monday, it'd be more like Rome, because it'd be sunny. <laughs> right now, it's more like Bangladesh or Calcutta or, uh, I don't know, Bangkok during the monsoon season. I can't think of anywhere that's having weather like this right now, except for the planet Saturn, which apparently we've never seen the surface of, because it's a constant fucking storm. A lot of tech people here, as I say, and I'm not that techy. All I know is when I walked through the lobby of the hotel, everybody looked like they had written a bad review of the last airbender on their blog. You heard what I meant. Ladies, good luck with these fucking fellas. That's all I have to say. If I had to fuck a guy with a phone on his belt and a beard, Jesus Christ. I don't know how you fucking do it. I really don't. Talking about software he's designing and some sort of fucking interface that he's going to do and shit. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'd be more hoary, I think, if I was a girl. I'd be like, really? That's what you do? You're in tech? Don't you have the lawyer for your company here? Because he's probably got money and doesn't live with three other douchebag dudes who all wear fucking hats all day and listen to vinyl and shit like that. He's got other things on his mind, like being a success and having a big dick and stuff. <laughs> Instead of a little dick app or whatever that he calls up and... 
Uh, uh, let's get to first things first. Let's cover the tragedy first because it's funner that way. Uh, a very a friend of mine uh, passed away. Uh, there was a comedy group, uh, and there is a comedy group called the Fire Sign Theater. And uh, thank you. The Fire Sign Theater were a massive um, group. They started in the 60s, and uh, they started on the radio on a show called Radio Free Oz, uh, which is a very funny joke from then. Uh, radio Free Europe was the American um, propaganda station that we had all over the world where we were going to stop communism by using pop music and bandinage. Uh, if you thought the movie Good Morning Vietnam wasn't a fucking documentary, you were wrong. We, we were going to conquer the world by playing the Rolling Stones and fucking going, Good morning. Hey, how's it going, Hungary? This is what freedom's like, you know. Uh, lucky strikes. Uh, and uh, so they called their show Radio Free Oz. And anyway, Peter Bergman passed away uh, this weekend. And uh, he was a lovely man. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit about him here. And, and I suggest you go out and, and download some Fireside Theater. What makes them so funny, Greg? Well, they were amazingly surreal and uh, stream of consciousness. And I, I was wildly influenced by them. When I was in high school back in the 40s, we, um, we used to listen to them on the wireless. And uh, right before we showed Jerry a thing or two... Um, no, it was in the 70s, and they had a book called The Big Book of Scripts, and we listened to their albums on vinyl. We'd get high and listen to them one after the next and memorize all the routines. Uh, and they, they were very uh, forward-thinking. Uh, they, they did a lot of TV parody in those days, and one of them was uh, Beat the Reaper, a game show where you were injected, and you had to guess what horrible fatal illness you had before you were given the antidote. And it was a topless nurse Judy's going to administer the antidote or whatever. And then my favorite line was, all toxins are administered under the strict supervision of the Armenian Medical Association. <laughs> well, what's it going to be? My skin, it's turning yellow. I can't breathe. Jaundice. I've got jaundice. Jaundice it is. <laughs> they were hysterically funny. And uh, uh, he, uh, he did a lot of things. Uh, Pete... Peter Bergman was around for a long time, and this is uh, from a, a, a remembrance of him by Richard Metzger, his good friend. Pete, you're the Zelig of the rock era. You've been in a film with Jean-Paul Belmondo and Farrah Fawcett. You coined the term love-in, which he did. He conducted the first love-in. Um, I don't know if all y'all remember what love-ins were in the 60s and stuff, but there was groove-ins and peace-ins and love-ins and whatever. It's sort of a pre-occupy-occupy with, uh, yeah, with just as much weed and more people with painted faces. Uh, uh, you, were, you smoked a joint with Bob Marley and the Whalers when they were your opening act. The Whalers opened for a team he was in, Procter and Bergman in Boston, and Peter told me the joint was arm-sized. Yeah, that is fucking legend. Uh, when you smoke a joint with Bob Marley and then go on and pretend to remember your act, awesome night. You gigged with Buffalo Springfield, you worked with Spike Milligan, and here you are with Albert Ayler. Uh, and Albert Ayler is an obscure blues star that Peter has found uh, announcing him on stage on a box set uh, just this year. Uh, in any case, the Firesign Theater was fabulous. He started 11, and this is how it worked. In 1967, he threw the first such event in April in L.A. That event ultimately drew a crowd of some 65,000 people. They thought no one was going to come, uh, blocking freeways for miles. This so impressed Gary Usher at Columbia Records that he gave the Firesign Theater a record contract. So dig. They were a group that did produced comedy records, much like we're all doing now, what we call podcasts and stuff, uh, except they wrote everything uh, because they were all writers, and he had written with the Living Theater and, and studied in Europe and everything. I want to read you something from his very last show because I thought it was so uh, awesome. Uh, our own Lieutenant Bradshaw, he wrote, Take heart, he said, Take heart, dear friends. We're passing through the darkening of the light. We're going to make it, and we're going to make it together. Don't get ground down by cynicism. Don't let depression darken the glass through which you look. This is a garden we live in, a garden seeded with unconditional love. And the tears of the oppressed, the tears of the frustrated, and the tears of the good will spring their seeds. 
The flag has been waved. It says occupy. Occupy Wall Street. Occupy the banks. Occupy the nursing homes. Occupy Congress. Occupy the big law offices. Occupy the lobbyists. Occupy yourself. Because that's where it all comes together. I pledge to you from this moment on, whatever it means, I'm going to occupy myself. I love you. See you tomorrow. Uh, that one was for Peter Bergman, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, he's a beautiful person. And ear-re-fucking-placeable. If you look up in the sky tonight, you'll see him. He is a swirling emerald nebulae. Oh. So much for absent, friends. Uh, let's talk about what's going on right here, right now. Um, th- there's been, of course, as you, I've been, we've been talking about it on the Proofcast for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, the fabulous uh, coinciding with the most extraneous uh, set of primaries that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. Uh, this Republican thing is dragged on for, what, we're into a fucking year now? Seriously, I mean, we're, we're, we're in Rick Perry's home. Rick Perry has the distinction of having to fall out before Rick Santorum and Newt Ginrich in a fucking process. That just can't feel that good when you walk in the office in the morning and your staff looks at you and they're playing a Newt Ginrich clip on fucking TV and stuff. And you're like, but I'm big and good looking and I'm like a fucking game show host. What was wrong with me? And then Newt Ginrich's up there. I, I like to hide under a bridge and ask people questions. And then Rick Santorum's up there when two men rub together. Oh, when they rub together, it's against the Lord, I tell you, the Lord! Uh, yeah. And it's dragged out forever. We know it's going to be Mitt Romney, and we know Obama's going to win. There, I've just said it. Let me be Mr. Fucking Prognosticator. Let me be... Let me be Proopstradamus for a second. Now, just so you know where I'm coming from, I'm not fucking voting for anyone because uh, any president that has rendition promised not to uh, uh, prosecute marijuana and has gone after it the way fucking the Obama administration has. Uh, any president that uses fucking drone CIA um, you know, missile program to wipe out Americans overseas that doesn't think they should follow the due process of law, that is shut down the fucking door on all whistleblowers, that wants to be able to tap everybody, that's against WikiLeaks. Well, he, we have a fucking Republican. There, I've said it. Uh, yeah, okay, you can go as quiet as you fucking like. Would I, would I vote for, for Mitt Romney or Newt Gingrich? No, not if you put a fucking T-bone to my head and had a wolf chase me around the room with it and shit. Not if you dipped me in chocolate sauce and buried me outside during the summer here and had fucking armadillos come and lick my genitals until they were chafed beyond all recognition. No, I would not. Uh, and then people say shit like, well, if you don't vote, then you can't complain. Oh, fucking contraire. I, I have not yet begun to complain. I will do nothing but fucking complain. And I, that was a very poor choice of words there. As Rick Santorum would say, I will do nothing but fucking complain. Or complain about but fucking. Uh, And I can't believe I said that on my show, quite frankly. But uh, along with all of these things that's going on, of course, it was International Women's Day the other day, or as Doug Benson told me last year, International Ladies' Day, which makes it better. (laughs) Because that means you get in free to the ballpark. Or whatever events you have here in Texas, the Rodeo or high school football. Um... And uh, thank you, three people, everyone else. <laughs> Are we all supposed to laugh at this? Do what you like. Uh, and uh, uh, 
That one made me laugh. Yeah. The, the war against women that's been ongoing in this country and that uh, Obama, quite frankly, hasn't said a goddamn word about. Uh, uh, every state is coming through with these anti-choice legislation. With try, uh, We're actually having a fucking discussion over whether people should be given contraception or not in the year 2012 when it's not even a matter of baby blocking at this point as much as would you like to use your genitals for the rest of your life? Or would you like to have them scorched by a series of fucking punishing STDs thrown like fucking Zeus from Mount Olympus, a thunderbolt to your fucking genital area? Uh, is it really a question anymore? And then, but the Catholic Church, what about my religious leanings? Hey, you know what? Fuck your religious leanings. How about practicality and AIDS and shit like that? Um, enough with your fucking religious leanings. Go observe your religion in private and stay off my dick. How's that for a fucking rule of thumb? I'll observe my religion and you observe your religion. But what if you force someone to do something that was against their moral beliefs? We have to do it every goddamn day. So then they can join the program too. How's that fucking grab you? You can't smoke inside. That's against my moral fucking beliefs. You can't buy marijuana over the counter. That's against my fucking moral beliefs. Women are raped ceaselessly and men are never fucking prosecuted. That's against my moral beliefs. So fuck you and your Catholic-funded fucking hospital if you don't fucking want to give contraception out to women even though it's 2012, not 1,012. If... If Pope Urban was still sitting, then maybe... Thank you. I'll be mentioning a lot of obscure popes as the night goes on. So last week, the governor of Virginia signed this uh, bill into, into law that women in Virginia have to have an invasive ultrasound up inside them before they can decide whether or not they get an abortion or whatever in the state of Virginia, which, by the way, hotbed of liberty, right? Patrick Henry in front of the Virginia House's Burgesses, was it, said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Then when the Continental Congress met, he was a firebrand at all the fucking meetings, and Franklin and Jefferson and Madison and Monroe and Adams and all the other white guys with wigs who own slaves had to fucking listen to him and go, yeah, liberty and freedom are a good thing, and now the state of Virginia has made this bold move forward by saying that women aren't in control of their own bodies. Because as you know, women are emotional, one. And two, women don't have a dick. That's their big disadvantage in this world. So here's a bill from Ohio that was introduced this week by Senator uh, Nina Turner. Awesome name. All the men come in this legislature, and the men all look the same. That was Senator Tina Turner. This is Senator Nina Turner. I'm your private senator announced legislation today that would protect men in Ohio from the risks of PDE5 in inhibitors, drugs commonly used to treat symptoms of impotence. Are you following this? Turner's legislation would include provisions to document that the symptoms are not psychological in nature and would guide men to make the right decision for their bodies. Are you following? We're talking about Cialis and Viagra. That men have to get fucking evaluations, legislation. Physicians would be required to obtain a second opinion from a psychological professional to verify that a patient has a true medical malady before the medication could be subscribed, proscribed, rather. Uh, the men in our lives, including members of the General Assembly, generously devote time to fundamental female reproductive issues. The least we can do is return the favor, Senator Turner said. It is crucial that we take the appropriate steps to shelter vulnerable men from the potential side effects of these drugs. 
I talked about it a lot, and I've always made jokes about it, that you never see women legislating against men's errant reproductive organs, and finally they are. This is the corner that women have been backed into in this country right here and right now. And all you 30-something guys with your arms folded fucking staring at me cross-eyed, fucking open up your mangina and use your feelings. <laughs> this is about you as much as about anyone else. This is not about me. I can get a boner. Yeah, well, not later tonight you won't. After you drink a mason jar of squeezins or whatever shit you people get up to here. The legislation follows the FDA's recommendation. Do we still have a Food and Drug Administration? How interesting. Uh, that the evaluation of erectile dysfunction... By the way, erectile dysfunction... How about let's just call it what it is. You couldn't put a carrot in a fucking wash bucket, all right? Do we have to dignify men not being able to get a fucking boner with erectile dysfunction? I mean, honestly. Men, men will do anything to dignify their penises. There is just no end to fucking self-onanistic male penis fucking worship. The amount of research billions that have been fucking spent on these drugs to give men a fucking boner, which, by the way, explodes your heart and makes your temples pound. When you consider that there's not a female uh, a birth control pill, that we still make women wear horrible shit inside their bodies, that women are still responsible for their own fucking uh, thing, and then we have to have people like Rush Limbaugh call 30-year-old women who are in college a whore and shit, and then everybody, well, what's everybody all upset about? He's entitled to his opinion. You know where he went? You know what went wrong with that one? It was a member of the public. If it had been another fucking blowhard-ass pundit like they all are, just shouting at each other with no fucking logical discourse or analytical thinking whatsoever, but a bunch of bilious shit they're just trying to back up by going as fast as they can like I am now. <laughs> It would be one thing. But when a member of the fucking us gets up in front of Congress and goes, it costs a lot of money for contraception, and he's like, she's a whore! You're like, that's when people get a little grossed out that the older fat slave owner gentleman thinks that. Uh, yeah, PD-5 inhibitors carry serious side effects, such as priapism. Does anyone know what that means? Does anyone speak Latin? Priapism. Priapus, by the way, was, whoa, a Latin god who lived out in the garden and had a perpetual gigantic heart on the size of a fucking arm and would rape passerby, including other men. That's the awesome part of Roman culture. <laughs> it included a good deal of Greek culture. <laughs> and that's where priapism, priapism means an unending boner. As they say on TV, if you have an erection for over four hours, call your doctor. And as I always turn to my wife and say, call my doctor, I'll fucking call everyone I know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Yes, it's an ancient joke, but it's funny. Hearing loss and vision loss, and I am both deaf and blind, and can be detrimental to men with heart problems, including heart pain, abnormal heart rhythms, higher low blood pressure, blah. By implementing more intensive screenings before prescribing the medication and requiring outpatient educational services, we can do more to prevent the potential side effects linked to PD-5 inhibitors, Senator Turner explained. We must advocate for the traditional family, protect the sanctity of procreation, and ensure that all men using PDE5 inhibitors are healthy, stable, and educated about their options including celibacy as a viable life choice. This legislation will do just that. And following up on this, let's go back to a, one of our friends of the Proopcast here, uh, a, a silver French kitten named Dominique Strauss-Kahn, who we talk about from time to time here on the show. Now, a lot of people haven't heard of Dominique Strauss-Kahn, even at this late date. You may remember he was the head of the International Monetary Fund, which is a group that swoops in on poor countries and fucks them over. Uh, that's what the International Monetary Fund's supposed to do. 
That's their job in the world. They go to places like Equatorial Guinea, buy their debt, and make everyone starve to death, and then split up the profits and shit like that. They're helping Greece right now. I told you there was a boring preachy part. You didn't fucking believe me at the beginning. You said it was going to come later in the show, not right toward the front. Mm. I lied! Uh, anyway, Dominique Strauss-Kahn was at Cambridge University uh, giving a speech this week. Because, yes, that's right. After uh, being acquitted of raping uh, the maid, uh, Ms. Dalio, who he's going to have a civil case against coming up soon, and after being arrested two weeks ago in France for being a pimp, and attending orgies and procuring women. And he said he was at an orgy and everyone was naked, so he couldn't tell who was a regular woman and who was a prostitute. Now, if he'd been Rush Limbaugh, he would have been able to tell immediately because they'd be wearing a Georgetown bra. Really? You're going to be that fucking sensitive, Austin? I would rather everyone in this room dies than this podcast go poorly. I want you to understand the stakes we're playing for here tonight. This isn't one of these, I have a badge, I wandered in, maybe this will be funny, I get to decide when I fucking laugh. No. I'm talking about salient, cogent, trenchant fucking topics ripped from today's uh, cyber headlines and delivered right to your fucking brain app, okay? So fucking open up your hearts a little bit and let me fucking in. I am a PDE5 inhibitor. And I will give you a comedy bloner. Former International Monetary Fund Chief Dominique Strauss-Kahn was bundled into the back of a police car to escape protesters after speaking, an, after speaking engagement at Britain's Cambridge University on Friday. That angered women's rights activists. Gee, women are so sensitive about things like women getting raped and then the guy being extremely rich and then impugning the woman's reputation and then going back to his extremely rich lifestyle. 150 demonstrators, state, shh, God damn it, 150 people waving banners. More like remonstrators than demonstrators. Chanting, 2468, no more violence, no more rape. Shouldn't it be like monkey, gibbon, you know, baboon, ape, no more violence, no more rape? I'm not buying that eight and rape rhyme had circled the Cambridge Union Society where Strauss-Kahn delivered a speech on globalization. Well, he should know better than anyone. Uh, and the Eurozone to a select group of students, yes. The Eurozone. Uh, that wonderful idea. Uh, in any case, um, he had to take questions during his... Um, he, he spoke at Cambridge, and it's an August place. I've been there. One student asked him to explain vaginal bruising suffered by uh, Nasiratu Diallo, the maid behind the sexual assault allegations, who is now pursuing a civil claim. The reality is that I spent a week in prison. There hasn't been a prosecution, he replied to a rapt audience listening over the faint shouts and sirens heard from outside. I love news writing. See, he's a victim because the reality was that he spent a week in prison. And then he went back to his unbelievably expensive fucking suite. By the way, after the so-called incident took place, which he never denied, he said they had oral sex. And as you know, his spermatozoa was found on the wall. Um, he went to lunch with his daughter right after that. So, yeah, men are great. You know why? We compartmentalize. Yeah. 
Yeah, the audience was wrapped, and the faint shouts could be heard from outside, the faint shouts of those who disagreed with paying him money to come to Cambridge to talk about globalization. He's kept mostly a low profile since the New York prosecutors dismissed charges of attempted rape and sexual assault against him in August, based on concerns about Diallo's credibility. Mm. But in recent months, he's rejoined the international speech circuit. Well, hooray! I didn't want to see him go broke. That's what I was worried about. That means he gets to stay in more hotels. And when he puts the do not disturb sign up, you do not fucking disrespect that. <laughs> the criminal case is over. The first civil court hearing, Diallo claims, is scheduled for March 28th. Strauss-Kahn was also held for two days in January, as we discussed, in a police station in the northern French city of Lille, where investigators questioned him about allegations that a prostitution ring organized by his business acquaintances provided women for clients of Lille's Cart- Carlton Hotel. Mm. But he wouldn't know anything about that because it's so difficult to tell the fucking difference. Um, let's go one more story and then we'll move on to the hilarity. Um, it was International Women's Day and uh, I just want to do um, read you a couple of little items because I know International Women's Day is every day here in Texas. Because y'all, all y'all have conquered tight jeans and blonde hair. Oh, Greg, you're not in Houston. You're here where people have tattoos and nipple piercings. We are the underground rock-smoking people who hide from the rain in an overhang, smoking a blunt. Uh, I've been all over Texas, and uh, yeah. uh, The the attitude toward women here is unique. Some women are insanely powerful. Texas is a place of, obviously, Barbara Jordan and uh, Shirley Chisholm, uh, uh, um, your Governor Ann Richards, um, Molly Ivins. There's been some extraordinary women from Texas. Uh, and and, And listen to that round of applause for them. And then there's all y'all. I'll tell you who a great person from Texas was. Troy Aikman, now there. Tom Landry, he knew how to lead a prayer. I did love Tom Landry. Uh, In France, this was on International Ladies' Day, as Doug Benson would call it. In France, Nicolas Sarkozy visited female workers at a bra factory whose jobs had been under threat. Carla Bruni was due to appear on a TV current affairs show to discuss women's rights. She is the supermodel turned uh, prime minister's wife, first lady of, of France. And the socialist frontrunner in the presidential race, Francois Hollande, promised feminist activists he would put equal numbers of women in government. France suffers from a 25% average male-female pay gap. So if any of you think that women have caught up and you don't need to do any more and that women aren't victims and why don't they fucking shut up and they're high-peeping voices and I just want a blowjob, um, just remember that that's going on for women all over the world all the fucking time. And we're talking about France, which is the richest country in Europe, in the Eurozone. Uh, so what do women in Greece have as a gap? Men get paid and women in Greece get, shut the fuck up, I'm trying to watch the football. And the crowd goes quiet again. All right. I keep forgetting we're in Texas and that your sensibilities are very, very sensitive here and that it's important that there be a daddy figure at all times to make everyone feel good about their life and shit. That's why we've got George W. and Rick Perry and shit. I know what I'm talking about. Not really. But anyways, better than some woman. You know what? 
Spanish women earn 22% less than their male peers. Brazil's first female president, Dilma Rousseff, announced tougher female measures against men responsible for domestic abuse. One report claimed that 10 Brazilian women met violent deaths each day. Mm. Yeah, I know. Uh, what can I do about it, Greg? Oh, fuck nothing. Have a drink. I'm gonna. <laughs> Just remember that it's happening, that's all, and that you're lucky if it's not happening to you, and that you might think about other shit like that. I was going to get into a whole spiel here about what really happened at the Alamo, but I can sense that maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> and that only I would come to Texas and actually explain to you your own fucking history here at the Republic. My understanding is that Texas wanted to be free because I saw the movie The Alamo with John Wayne and shit. And there was a scene in it where he goes, there's words like liberty. He played Colonel Davy Crockett, who of course perished, oh, actually was executed by Santa Ana at the Alamo afterward by the sword. Now, this isn't to diminish the courage of Colonel Crockett or Colonel Bowie, who was actually dead on the day of the battle, or Colonel Travis, who left his pregnant wife and child and brought his slave with him. It's not to diminish their courage at all. Uh, or Sam Houston, who was drunk through a good deal of it. But the point is this. Texas was desperate to have slaves, and the Mexican Republic that they were part of didn't have slavery anymore. And that's what a good deal of the fucking Alamo was fought about. And the crowd couldn't be quieter right now. Is there any way to... Is there any way to get another drink before the audience lynches me? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Just vodka in a glass and shit like that. I'd also like a line of heroin right now. This may be the one proof cast that never gets cast. I dig Ron Washington. Does that count for anything around here? No. This is an article by Richard G. Santos, and it's from uh, an awesome uh, uh, website called News Taco, which is a Latin news website. <laughs> The Mexicans that were fighting the Texicans here, and by the way, there was as many Tejanos as there were white people uh, uh, in, in, at the Alamo, uh, were basically pushed into service. A lot of them were uh, what we used to call in the old days uh, press ganged. Uh, uh, 200 such conscripts were kept tied to one another in a single file and marched here. Um, and then the battle went on and on. It lasted 30 minutes. Five or seven defenders were captured and taken before General Santa Ana, who ordered them executed as being non-residents of Mexico or Texas, and therefore international mercenaries. Does that sound familiar to what's going on right now? The people that we just drone bombed with our CIA missiles and shit were international mercenaries, even though they were American fucking citizens, right? They were born here, but then they went on to join fucking terrorist groups, and so we drone bombed them without any fucking trial or telling anyone, because that's what we do now. Well, guess what? They were doing it in the 1830s, too, and it was awesome, except they used a drone sword held by a drone person then. Among those executed was former Congressman Davy Crockett, or David Crockett, as he's listed here, awesomely. Uh, Tejano rebel Brigido Guerrero threw his weapons away, locked himself in a room, and claimed to have been a prisoner of the rebels. He was freed in the 1860s, received a land grant and pension as the only known and documented surviving Alamo defender. Four Anglo-American defenders rushed through Nacogdoches, Texas telling the... Po uh, let me just rephrase that sentence using the comma properly. Four Anglo-American defenders rushed through Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches Texas telling the populace they'd just escaped the battle and that all had been killed. Two other men arrived at Victoria, blah, blah, blah. In other words, there's no actual count of who lived and who died 
at the Alamo. It seems to remain somewhat of a mystery and wasn't even a popular thing until about uh, 100 years afterward. Um, in any case, it, they, they were very brave to fight on that day. Thank you so much, Anthony. That'll be all. Now fuck off. Um, I'm joking, of course. Thank you. As you can see now, I'm desperate for any kind of reaction from you since I seem to have talked myself into a complete fucking corner on this one. How are you going to weasel your way out of saying that we wanted fucking slaves, Greg? I'm not. You fucking did. It's like when people talk about the Civil War. People always go, well, you know, it was a difference of opinion. It was the Missouri Compromise. It was, there was a difference of an economy. It was a difference of lifestyle. No, the Confederacy wanted fucking free labor. And there were many other reasons, too. But that was one of the main fucking ones. And Lincoln wasn't necessarily for freeing the slaves. It took him a long time. If you were a slave, you thought, when is he going to fucking free us? If you were an abolitionist, you thought, when is he going to fucking get on the train? He was not born... Uh, he was born to believe that there shouldn't be slavery. But it wasn't something he was convinced of until the war was in full fucking swing and he had to fucking do it. But, much to his credit, he fucking did it. Unlike Bill Clinton, who didn't sign Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and it was up to this president some 25 million years later to fucking sign Don't Ask, Don't Tell. If he had just signed it, we'd have already been done with it. But that's how these things go. People are hesitant when the big issues come up. Fortunately, I'm not, because I'm a comedian, and there's no ramifications to anything I say. <laughs> other than your undying fucking enmity and hatred. <laughs> and that I think more than a few of you are going to Google News Taco a little bit later to see if I'm talking shit up here. They wouldn't name a state after an alcoholic ad hoc fucking mercenary. No, but they'd name a city after him. Uh, let's go to the questions here. By the way, we're going to be in, uh, where are we? We're in London on the 27th of this month. We'll be in Glasgow on the 29th at the Tron Theater. We'll be in Paris at La Java on April 4th. Uh, and then I think San Jose after that. I can't remember. If you go to proopcast.com or gregproops.com. And of course, you can download this, uh, you can download this proopcast, this vodcast, uh, for free. All the kittens may download for free at any time. And I believe uh, you guys, well, I don't know if you get in free because you had to pay for a badge. So really you did pay. And I appreciate you coming out tonight. I also appreciate that uh, you've taken everything so seriously. <laughs> I feel like I'm at the CNN cafe right now. <laughs> the CNN cafe might be the best idea I've ever seen. If, if you know one thing about me, you know that the wisdom of Wolf Blitzer is something that I live by. Controversial bill going through the Virginia Assembly. There, there's nothing they won't say on CNN that the government hasn't approved. There is nothing they won't repeat that the government has told them to say. And that's the one thing you can say about CNN. They will repeat what the government tells them to. That should be their slogan. Fox News' slogan is, whatever. We're just making this shit up as we go along. Look at the hot girl's legs. Look at the hot girl's legs. Look at the weird guy's makeup. Look at it. That's Fox News' slogan. CNN's is controversial things, controversial abortion, controversial. Uh, if you wish to ask me a question or put it to me, uh, it's smartestatespecialthing.com. And I, I do not read these uh, aforehand, um, but I am going to read them now, and hopefully we'll catch a good one here. I, uh, my producers pick them off the line and pull out the juiciest ones for me here. Let's see. Um, that one. Oh, no, that's okay. All right. Jerry, uh, Jerry with a G. 
Mm. We got an aristocrat. Gary asks, Dearest Mr. Proops, colon, really? I'd have, I'd have gone comma, Gary. Yes, dear Jerry. Dearest Mr. Proops. Which is worse for an artist or musician to discover, sobriety or religion? Hmm. Excellent question, Jerry. Uh, sobriety is a toughie. Because what happens is, um, especially with uh, comedials, they start talking about their sobriety all the time. And then the routines start talking about when they did drugs. Because it kind of gets them high to remember when they did drugs. With musicians who are sober, I have no uh, fucking truck with whatsoever. John Cooper Clark, the amazing Manchester poet, uh, said that rockers against drugs. Bit of a non-starter, that one. <laughs> and I believe it was the immortal Bill Hicks from this very glorious Lone Star Republic that said, uh, uh, all, all those music, all those uh, CDs and records and everything that you love at home, the musicians who made them were real fucking high. Uh, it, it's tough when musicians get sober. Uh, I don't think anything good comes of it. But nothing's worse than religion. Religion is the last refuge of the fucking scoundrel. When your career has really hit the rocks and you've gone through the four rehabs, then all of a sudden you're Christian. That's what happens. And then when you really suck, like your kid rock and the rap hip-hop audience disappeared and evaporated on you when Limp Biscuits crowd decided that they were douchebags, that's when you become a country star. I'm not saying I hate country music. I'm not saying I hate country music. You know what I'm fucking talking about. Does the word hootie and the fucking blowfish mean anything to anybody? When you got nothing left in the fucking tank to say to the pop world, the country world will always take you in. And this is where Gwyneth Paltrow overplayed her fucking hand. She thought, well, I'm not starring in that many much movies anymore and no one fucking cares about the movie I did win an Oscar for and I'm writing a fucking unsuccessful Martha Stewart fucking thing where all I talk about is how I take a shit and whatnot. <laughs> I'll sing country music. They're sure to accept me because of my immense fame. And country people went, no, you're all right. Good, good try, darling. Um, I'm going to say religion on that one there. Uh, but, and no, I also know that I don't detest religion. Fucking Saturday night in Austin. It's happening. Someone didn't get enough habaneros. We're rushing as fast as we can with them habaneros. Oh, you have awesome barbecue stands on the street here. Honestly, I would weigh 8,000 pounds if I lived here. Like many of the people who live here. I'm not saying I hate religion. If religion floats your boat, right on. I don't deny anyone anything. Uh, if you uh, are, are fervent in your belief, I say go for it. Um, I, I, as Frank Sinatra said, whatever gets you through the fucking night. You know what I mean? Um, but I would say that religion and rock stars, or religion and artists and musicians. Mm. I mean, it's interesting though, right? Because there's certain like authors like Graham Greene, right? In England, when you become a Catholic, it's a definite move because Catholicism, of course, was abolished by Henry VIII during the Reformation and whatnot, which made them vile enemies of the Pope for ages and ages. And that's why all those insane wars were fought in Europe, the Thirty Years' War, right? It was always the Spanish and the Italians and whatnot versus, well, there was no Italy then, but the Spanish and everybody versus uh, the Dutch and the English. 
in all the northern countries because they were fucking heretics and shit like that. And so in England, when you become a Catholic and you've been C of E, it's a gigantic political fucking move. And there's been a few authors who've done it. And I always feel like it's a really weird thing. It would be like if all of a sudden I said to you guys, I'm fucking disciples of Christ. Who's with me? Because nobody's disciple. Holy kittens. Crime wave. Fucking Austin. It can't be fire trucks. There's too much rain. I can't light a fucking joint in a patio in this fucking town. Uh, let's see. Thank you for that, Jerry. Um, uh, Jeremy. Wow, Jerry and Jeremy. It's quite confusing. Dear Ambassadore. Well, yes. Excelente, Jeremy. Which actress, living or dead, would you cast as a female Captain Ahab and why? Oh, my God. That's a... <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, Kathy Bates, I think, jumps right to the fucking front of the Ahab line. Holy shit. Kathy Bates has a huge dick. Put a fucking peg leg on her and she is the captain of the Pequod. You know what I'm saying? Hammering that fucking silver doubloon into the mast and shit. Whosoever shall see the fucking whale first will be the one that will get this doubloon. <laughs> fucking Kathy Bates would be awesome. Why didn't you say Meryl Streep? Because you know how I feel about Meryl Streep. Too many movies. Too many movies. I need an Oscar return slot. Yeah. Yeah. There's been too many River Wilds, Meryl. I'm not buying the fucking thousand Oscar thing. Uh... I think you have to have a hard ass uh, as Captain Ahab. Uh, Sandra Bullock in 10 years' time. Right? Because Captain Ahab is not only, one, a religious maniac, right? Because he says uh, everything's a biblical allegory with him. He, he also says, well, they go, why are you chasing the whale, Captain? At one point he goes, Gregory, I'm going to be doing poor Gregory Peck in this part, just so you know. He tasks me. Right? The whale isn't just a fucking adversary that chomped his fucking leg off that he stuck a harpoon in his ass. He tasks him, right? He's got to finish the fucking job of, uh, of killing uh, Moby Dick. And I think uh, Kathy Bates is as good as anyone. Living or dead? Dead actresses? Um, there was an actress named Marie Dressler from the 20s who would have been an awesome uh, Captain Ahab. Um, also, there was an actress named Gail Sondergaard uh, who was a, a very exotic 40s European-type actress. But I think Greta Garbo could have played fucking Captain Ahab. She would have been a great one. Like They're like, Captain, the whale. And she'd go, Moby Dick. <laughs> he tasks me. <laughs> you realize, of course, that Starbucks is named after the second mate in the fucking book Moby Dick. The second mate is named Mr. Starbuck, and that's what they fucking named Starbucks after. What connection a giant white whale and $4.85 lattes have is completely beyond my reckoning. But if I were to pick a barista, living or dead, it would be Janet. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? Um... Just put that anywhere. Mm-hmm-hmm. If you found yourself... What? What does that say? Uh, Mike says... Oh, here, here we go. Here's one. Uh, Tom asks, he who proops in the night. I know. Believe me, I've grown up with it. This is your first time. 
I've heard every variation, including the awesome band from Oklahoma, the Gap Band's Proops Upside Your Head. <laughs> Tom asks, which films could do with a remake? Oh, honey. Not that many. They're remaking them all the bloody fucking time, every two seconds. Every film gets a bloody remake. Um, ones that won't do with a remake are Citizen Kane and Casablanca. Please leave them alone. Moby Dick gets remade. Thank you. Moby Dick gets remade all the goddamn time. It was, in fact, remade again this year with William Hurt. Uh, and there was an awesome scene in it where he's pulled underwater till he drowns. Thank you, two people. I found it amusing. Uh, I think Hangover 2. All Asian cast, move it to Singapore. Little dubstep fucking soundtrack. Am I wrong? I think I'm right. Uh, Green Lantern could have done with a remake where they just shot it and then threw the film away. <laughs> I'm so going to get in trouble. Every movie that Reese Witherspoon's ever been in... You could remake with someone sexually attractive. <laughs> Any movie that Jim Belushi starred in? Yeah, that doesn't even matter anymore. That one seemed irrelevant. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm t although some remakes are great, right? Like the, the Maltese Falcon with Humphrey Bogart is like the third or fourth remake. The, re uh, the Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland is, I think, the third remake of The Wizard of Oz. There's a silent version with Oliver Hardy. So sometimes remakes can be completely awesome. But mostly, uh, we get the same crappy, crappy tins. Um, for instance, a couple of years ago, you may remember a Will Smith film called I Am Legend, right? That's the third or fourth remake of I Am Legend by William, uh, Richard Matheson. The first one is The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. Unbelievably awesome. Spooky, weird, fucking zombies outside. It's the, these are the original zombie attacks movies, right? The zombies live outside. They're kind of vampires. He can't go outside. You know, he, he's got his own little world with lights and shit. Then the remake of that was The Omega Man with Charlton Heston, which was Thank You. One of the greatest 70s sci-fi movies because he has sex with a black girl and they have like a kind of half-assed zombie baby and shit. And... Um, he, he uses blood to fucking inoculate himself against the zombies. Then he's in a helicopter crash because he's a doctor working for the military. Is anyone following the plot? <laughs> and Charlton Heston is the best zombie chaser of all time because he's a fascist given a gun to eradicate zombies. So he's like, I'm trying to find their nest. It's really good. And then he has sex with a hot black girl with an afro. It's a 70s movie. That one's really good. Then, then they remade it with Will Smith and they used CGI like buffaloes and vampires and shit and wolves and stuff. And it was like, mm. Will Smith is charismatic and fucking awesome. But CGI'd fucking vampires, once you've killed a bajillion of them, it's basically Star Wars 18. <laughs> Anytime CGI'd shit blows up a billion times, I'm like, mm. where's the horror? And the horror was in the meeting. That green-lighted that fucking movie. Uh, alrighty. Let's go to the crowd here and uh, see what you people have to say. Does anyone... Who, who's manning the mic here? I have the mic. Who is it? Out here. Where are you? Right, look. Is it you, John? It is me. I can't see shit. Hi, John. Does anyone have a question? Does anyone want to engage? Oh, back here? After this fucking show where we pissed on the Alamo and shit and <laughs> talked about rape and abortion. Been a lot of... Yes, sir. 
What's your name, sir? Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. I would like to hear your response to uh, sex, married, kill with Cleopatra, Leslie Gore, and Satchel Paige. So let me get this straight in this, in this beer drinking game that we're playing of yours. With Leslie Gore, Satchel Paige, and who was the other one? Cleopatra. Correct. My choice is, do I have sex with them, do I marry them, or do I kill them? One, one person you have to marry, one person you have to have sex with, and the other you have to choose to kill. Ah, I'm going to use the Kobayashi Maru scenario on this one. I'm going to put the system on trial, Jonathan. You think that you've backed me into a corner with a do you still beat your wife kind of question. Because you think during my beloved Proopcast that I am going to either have sex or kill Satchel Paige. <laughs> Neither of those things is going to happen as long as I have breath to hold my fucking expensive platinum Mont Blanc in my hand and wave it at you. <laughs> Nor am I going to marry Satchel Paige in any way. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to start Satchel Paige first and I'm also going to start him in game two, but then I'm going to pull him after three innings. <laughs> I'm going to have sex with Cleopatra because, wow. <laughs> she spoke eight languages, and I think what she had going was uh, on like nobody's had it going on in the ancient world. Apparently, she wasn't attractive. She was short and was full of fucking charm. And as we've discussed on this proofcast before, was in Rome when Caesar was killed and then fucked off back to Egypt and then made it with his second, Mark Anthony, and then had a whole other fucking war against Augustus. Um, and then, in fact, I might marry Cleopatra. There's going to be psychedelic drugs and fucking errant children. I know you're not. And raspberry dawns and hibiscus-scented trade winds and fucking pleasure barges and fucking maidens dancing. I can just see it now. In fact, I can smell it. Incense burning primitive fucking weed from 2,000 years ago and shit. Right? That you don't smoke in a pipe, that you light in a bowl and then you hold a tube over and go like that with. The, prim the vaporizer of the year seven fucking jackal. <laughs> Leslie Gore, my understanding, wants to cry if she wants to because it's her party. Oh, what a birthday surprise. He's been wearing her ring. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. I think Leslie Gore had every fucking reason to cry. Johnny was supposed to be her fucking boyfriend and then he came in and he was wearing another bitch's ring. What I think it, the original title of the song was, It's My Party and I'll Fucking Cut a Bitch If I Want To. <laughs> You'd cut a bitch too if it happened to you. <laughs> That's my answer, Jonathan. Uh, does anyone else have a question? But you didn't answer the question the way you asked it. Yeah. I can't see you, nor can I hear you. Hello, Greg. Hi, what's your name? Uh, Michael. Hello, Michael. Oh my goodness, you're right. I haven't talked about the late Gary Carter. This is going to drive the crowd even further away from me. <laughs> There's some lady's eyebrow liner here that I found on the stage. What an unusual thing to find on the stage at a podcast. Were there a lot of acts up here last night doing their eyebrows? 
Who did you have up here last night? Uh, in any case, uh, Gary Carter played for the uh, Montreal Expos and then later for the New York Mets. He was a ball player, right? And he was a... Uh, I, have I not talked about him at all? Hmm, maybe in the one... In, in any case, uh, uh, Kid Carter was uh, a, an amazing baseball player. Now, just chuck that. He went in the Hall of Fame as a catcher, and catcher, as you know, is a very difficult position to play in baseball because you've got to run the defense, you've got to be able to throw. Mostly, you have to kneel game after game after game after inning after inning after inning and have foul balls hit off your hands, hit off your face, hit off your ears, hit your helmet. It's a fucked up, horrible, thankless fucking position. Gary Carter was playing the outfield when they finally moved him in uh, behind catcher, which he took over and became, in my opinion, the second best catcher I ever saw in my lifetime next to Johnny Bench, and I'm old enough to remember seeing Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench ruined catching because everybody caught with two hands before Johnny Bench. But Johnny Bench had such a great arm, and he came up in the late 60s, that he caught with one hand behind his back. And then he'd fucking, from his knees, whoomp, fucking snap throw to third or snap throw to first and fucking nail guys. Kid almost had that much mad skill. Here's the thing about Kid. He wore a loose 80s perm mullet. And he was in many all-star games, several of which he was the MVP of. When a foul pop would go behind the plate, he'd rip the fucking helmet off and look right at the camera. Because <laughs> he was good-looking and Christian and shit like that. And he'd run up and he'd catch the ball and he... <laughs> then he'd throw the ball back into play and he'd look back at the camera. And... Like he was dedicating every fucking play to someone in the audience, man. Uh, so he moved to the Mets in uh, 85. They traded him after he hit like 30 home runs and drove in 100 RBIs for the Expos. They said he was done. He went to the Mets in 86 and drove in 100 runs and batted fourth. The Mets team that year was the most coked up, fucked up, messed up fucking. There's a book about it called The Year the Bad Guys Won. Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden were on that team. And they were smoking and fucking snorting coke every fucking day of the season. There was several cliques on the team. And one of them was the God Squad, Jesus, we love fucking the Lord clique. And that was the one Gary Carter was in. So one part of the clubhouse was fucking coming in every morning going, Jesus Christ, is there a girl still attached to me? And the other... <laughs> and the other half was like, Jesus loves me, yes, I know, for the Bible tell me so... And they won the fucking World Series. This team should have won three or four pennants and two or three World Series, but they were so fucked up on drugs they couldn't. When they had their victory parade in New York City, Doc Gooden, who was one of their stars on the team, was not there because he was smoking rock with some chick downtown. And the crowd goes quiet. Awesomely, on the victory charter plane back to fucking New York City from their last win in Boston, and yes, they beat Boston, which makes it a fun and happy ending story. Uh... The, the bathroom door flew open on the toilet of the plane and there was two guys in there doing coke. Two Mets doing coke together. So that was a groovy team. The reason why I love Gary Carter is this. At, in his dotage, when he was 36, he was traded to the my team, the San Francisco Giants. And he, uh, I went to a night game with my friend Debbie Durst. A, a night game of no meaning whatsoever. I can't remember who we were playing, Cubs or St. Louis. And Gary Carter hit a double in, in the right center field gap at Candlestick, which was the most disgusting ballpark that ever fucking existed. Hot dog wrappers flying everywhere, fucking sand in your face. Your Coke would fill up with dirt and fucking cigarette butts and shit like that. The, the fog came in. I saw on the field foxes, raccoons, uh, every, every manner of fucking wildlife out on the field. Like, you were lucky there wasn't a fucking moose out in right center field. It was just like really a vile fucking place. And... Um, uh, he hit a, he, uh, into, uh, these night games would be so freezing. People would just be fucking, and we would, we would buy a coffee and a hot chocolate and put them together and call it a candlestick latte. 
because the the food was just revolting. They carried they carried hot dogs in in uh in those days not wrapped already in a bucket of lukewarm water and they'd fish them out and put them on a cold ass stale ass bun and then they had a wooden stick that they would put in the mustard and go with or without and then whap onto the fucking hot dog with the brown crust that had fucking got uh, they were yeah. So, but you could smoke dope in the stands, and you could get as drunk as you fucking liked. No one cut anyone off at the seventh inning in those days. Beer vendors would come up to you and go, I'm your beer vendor for the night. And just stand next to your row. And two at a time, right? In bottles. They pulled them out in bottles. Pop, pop. And they fucking hand them off to you. No, it's no limit or anything like that. This was a good days. So Kid Carter, uh, out of nowhere and for no reason, hits a fucking double into the right center field gap, right? Pulls up at second, calls timeout, right? The game is stopped. No, players don't usually call timeout in baseball. Gets up and fucking goes like this. Takes his knee and goes, bat, and puts it back. And then, okay, let's play. And that's why I love Gary Carter. He actually put his knee back in its socket during a major league game and finished that fucking game and hit a double. And uh, I think he was made of the living shit and we are sorry to see him go. And if you look in the sky, he is a bizarre blue Expos nebulae. The little, the red, white, and blue one that said ELB that was actually supposed to be an M. Uh, if anyone remembers the Expos logo, which apparently only I do. Me, me and Billy Sample. Uh, any other questions? And then we're going to... Uh, Whoa, whoa, Jonathan, I can't see you, nor can I hear you. Where are you? Uh, can I hear your impression? Are there any women in the fucking crown? Does any women have any questions? No, go ahead, sir, first. Then, can I hear your impression? What's your name first before you jump in with the... Yes. Welcome, welcome to the... Timing, Daniel. Timing. Timing. Easy. Take a breath, Daniel. You breathe and hang out for a second. I'm going to talk for a minute. Welcome to the lion's den. I hope you can see the writing on the wall. Now, what is your question, Daniel? Can we all hear your impression of MSNBC? <laughs> of MSNBC? A controversial thing took place today when the right wing did something bad. <laughs> this story just in, trees are necessary. <laughs> Obama's balls taste like gingerbread. Let's have a woman there, shall we, Jonathan? Sure. Thank you for your question. Oh, there you are. What's your name, my precious love? I'm Red. Red? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Hey, Red. I just wanted to say it. It was like I was... Here, here let's pretend you're walking in. Hey, you're Red. What'll it be? Oh, I was actually kind of, uh, I grew up watching Who's Line, a lot of it. Uh-huh. And I recently kind of started watching a lot of old Who's Line on YouTube and stuff. And actually, kind of, you did? Okay, well, I kind of actually, or you actually well, virtually I did? Like, I think an entire Sunday just watching Who's Line. Well, so, so this is one day we're talking about here. <laughs> when I hear actually, kind of, it's like I kind of heard, I think. No, go on, go on. A whole Sunday, for reals, wow. That's the Lord's Day, you know. Well spent. Uh, 
about the romances that went on that show. Wow, you wanted some slash fiction is what you want. You want to hear that me and Colin Mockery put on each other's trousers before the show and anointed each other with precious oils and whatnot. What I would do... Oh, are you still asking? Okay. I thought I was answering, but all right. Are you still going or is it my turn? Yeah, it is my fucking show. Daniel... Red. <laughs> there was a lot of bromances because there were very few uh, women on the show, sadly, over the years. And this was not my choice. As I said, I, I did not cast the show, nor did I produce it. I was simply the chiefest, sexiest member of the show. <laughs> Next to the black guy and the older guy. Um, well, Richard Vranch, who's the keyboard player on the British version, is one of my best friends in the entire world, so there's a bromance that goes on there, and we find each other endlessly amusing. Um, uh, Jim Sweeney, who was on the English version, is uh, someone I worship and adore, as is Steve Steen, his partner, uh, uh, who were both on the English version. Uh, I play with Ryan metaphorically and literally, but not figuratively. Uh, I perform, let's put it that way, with Ryan constantly, and Chip and Jeff uh, because we have a, a little group called Who's, and you're going to love the name of this, Who's Live Anyway. See, what we did was we took the word line and we put a V where the N went. And we're on the road also. If you want to go on gregproops.com, you can find us. I don't think, we played Texas a couple years ago. We played a theater benefit in, um, in Dallas and uh, it was fun. And uh, but so uh, we have a bromance, but because we all think each other's wildly amusing at this late date, and we're well past twenty years, Ryan and I working together. Um, we I, I still find him. I, I really feel, and I've said it a million times. It's like working with Babe Ruth. He just points at the fence and then hits a fucking tater. So people go, "Are you ever nervous when you go out to do improv?" And I'm like, "No, I'm in a group with fucking Babe Ruth." When the Yankees went on the field in 1927, then did. Oh, fuck! I hope the Pirates don't beat us. <laughs> So I got some all-stars on my team, so uh, I, I do worship him for that. Uh, Tony Slattery, as I've often said on the show, amazingly funny at all times. Uh, having said that, Josie and Sandy, I thought, were magnificently funny. And uh, uh, Sandy Toxvig is a famous author in England now, and Josie's a, a magnificent actress and whatnot. So uh, there are some bromances and some romances on the show. Did we shag each other? No. Sadly, no. Uh, did we get drunk and do drugs together and shit? Fuck yeah. <laughs> did we do drugs before the show? Occasionally. Occasionally we did. No fair telling. No fair telling when we did. I was on the show for 14 fucking years, so pretty much everything was bound to happen at a certain fucking point. Uh, and we shot in England for a long time, which meant there wasn't a lot of great food before the show. Did a funk band just enter the theater? Is the Gap band driving by very slowly outside? Does anyone recognize that jam? I think they're shooting a black exploitation film in the Velveeta room. That is awesome. Talk about some thin ass walls here at Esther's Follies. I forgot to mention we were at Esther's Follies. Uh, thank you for your question. Uh, and uh, that was very slashy. Um, and any other ones? And that'll be the last one, and then we'll go. One more? Or did you split? Really? That's it? Oh, it someone's wa waving their hand over there. 
as Carly Simon once said, get the fuck off my stage. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Good evening, subject. What's your name? Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Oh, about your girl. <laughs> I want to tell her that I love her, but the porn is probably moot. Now she's watching him with those eyes. She's holding him with that body. I just know it. Go on. Oh, I see what you did. Um, well, we've had two, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Um, you mean of black politicians now? That's a toughie. I would hope there'd be someone rising up through the ranks that would be uh, the real deal. Uh, and when I say a black president, I mean a woman. Uh, that's my fervent wish before I fucking off this realm into the Gary Carter, Peter Bergman world. Uh, when I meet Gary Carter and Peter Bergman in the, in the next world, I want to be able to say that someone named Heather was leader of the fucking free world. <laughs> and that she fucking swung big fucking uh, giant ones and, and was the one who made it right. I don't think one person can make everything right, but I do think it would be a giant step in the fucking right direction if we joined the rest of the universe and had a woman run us for a while. Because... Uh, we're going to be facing off against China and India and Brazil for the next fucking couple of dozen... You guys are going to have to deal with this shit. And believe me, the Chinese are not going to have a female prime minister who's easygoing yoga. When China takes over the fucking deal, it's going to be cold fish heads and rice at a clitorectomy. You know what I'm saying? And that's what we have to battle against uh, in this world. Are you saying the Chinese are going to be repressive and never understand anyone's rights and destroy the environment? Fuck yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you thought we sucked as an imperialist power, China and India have no fucking regard for any human fucking anything. Uh, they do. The people of those countries do. Of course they do. All people are the same. It's governments we're talking about. That's why when you say the first black president and stuff, I'd like it to be a girl, uh, and I'd like it to be fucking soon before I pass away. Um, and that's going to be that, I think. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who, for coming out here tonight. Uh, and I'd adore to come back to Austin another time. I'm hoping to come back during a time when there's a gentle breeze and leaves wafting to the ground. Or maybe kittens are flinging themselves to and fro and there's cherries. I don't know what kind of indigenous fruit you have here in Texas. Little armadillo burgers or whatever fucking fly around. One time I'll come back and I'll be able to walk down the streets without having my glasses pitted or covered with moisture. That's all I hope. And I wish you nothing but love. This has been the smartest man in the world, Proopcast. Thank you very much for coming out to Esther's Follies here. I wish you nothing but peace and love. Thank you and good night.